welcome her. We're so glad she's here. Joanna Hoffman. Thank you. I don't think I really need this mic, but uh, let me know if anyone can't hear me, but I think I'm, I can project my voice. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, okay, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm going to do a couple poems from, from memory, a couple that I'll read from the book. And uh, this first poem is called Pride. The summer I turned 14... My grandmother got me smashed at a wedding in Jersey. Somewhere in between the third glass of champagne and the fourth ABBA song, she turned to me and said, Someday, you're going to have a wedding just like this. And I didn't know how to tell her that I probably wouldn't be having any wedding at all. That I wore these bones like a voiceover when really I was in love with my friend Kathleen. And I thought just maybe, if I held this itch underwater long enough, it would float up blue. Tried to claw the want from my voice every time Kathleen asked what I thought of her boyfriend. Tearing all the power cords from my drive-in imagination and burning every lamp in my throat watching her. I learned what shame feels like. I painted my skin with postcard gleam as if the best I could ever hope for is to reflect somebody else's shine. As if there were some parts of me better off drowned in a swimming pool of whiteout. But it is not in our bones to cringe before the mirror like this. A person born blind will tilt their head back and extend their arms when they feel pride. It's in our bones not to bake shame into our blood, but to live boldly. And so now, all these years later, here is my pride. For refusing to allow the wet blanket stare of strangers on the subway smother this burn to hold her hand. For every time someone has said, Wow, you don't look gay, and I didn't say thank you for not allowing my heart to be strip-searched by those who want to know if my love is pure enough because I've already spent years committing hate crimes against myself, and I already know all of those tricks. So when my friend asks me why there are no straight pride parades, I tell her, you can't be proud of something you've never had to fight for. This is for every wedding I've watched from the sidelines, every fairy tale with stipulations, every it's a it's a phase you're disgusting every gay kid who believed nothing would ever get better unless he broke himself to fit into the plaster of who he was supposed to be well, we already are exactly who we are supposed to be and just a few years ago I woke up living in a country where I could actually get married one day and I thought back to that wedding in Jersey how my grandmother grabbed my hand as I walked by and said hey you were the last one out there dancing, and I'm proud of you. With no buts or if-onlys clinging to the underside of her voice. And finally, all these years later, I'm now able to say the same thing to myself. So, I live out in New York, and uh, flew here two days ago. Um, and uh, being on an airplane is always a very interesting experience for me because I find flying terrifying. So uh, this next poem I'm going to read is called Mile High Faith. On the airplane, I find Jesus. My Jewish mother would be horrified, but she isn't here. On this hamster-sized plane thrashing like a baby's fist through the question mark sky. If she was, I imagine she'd scream. Instead, I am praying 
head skyward, clutching, clenching the armrest as if it were the hand of the last beautiful moment I want to stay alive for. If someday is now, Jesus, I'm sorry. For every stupid, stupid moment, I held an empty bottle like a doorknob I was waiting to turn and just listened to the bell of last call booming over me, a rusted rocket. The man next to me, the one with no understanding of personal space or inoffensive cologne, smiles at me. It's just turbulence, he says, patting my leg. I'd like to use his arm as a ripcord. Jesus, please. No one on this plane loves me. There are no beautiful girls whose necks I could use as sedatives. No men who frown like my father. It's not fair, Jesus. If I knew for sure we were crashing, I probably wouldn't call anyone anyway because what is there to say I haven't said? I believe in Jesus now. Just thought you should know that about me. (laughs) Well... I don't. I hate to admit I believe in dumb luck and in lazy statistics. Chances are, everything will be fine. Most likely, you can write any poem you want to on a day that works better for your schedule. Sure, you can love me whenever's good for you. Whenever you decide you believe enough in the impossible, the invisible, the name you never thought you'd call out. This is the first poem in the book. It's called Fences. This ribbon is something I knew by name once. A smooth, greaseless sling of bone cradling what seeps unguarded. To learn protection. What it means when applied to myself. When I am so used to stitching my own swelter. Calling the fever home with the mouth of the match. The spark means lighthouse. The burn speaks lullaby. The coo of cracked skin will not know me now. This is what therapy and remedy forget. That I love the sound of my own heart breaking. The delicious crash stomping the embers back to frenzy. It's calm that terrifies me. Silent snowstorms in the night. How they blanket in a fine proud skeleton. The shivering earth. It's Novocaine Twitch, a hundred songs with their mouths taped shut. This is Surrender. Once I kneeled in an alleyway and clung to shrubs until they fainted in my hands. My throat was an escalator of snake venom. A vodka curtain snapping its wet fingers against the asphalt sky. The tornado in my gut motoring on and on and on. Inside the bar, the girls shrieked and licked salt from their palms. I couldn't grab hold of the wheel of their laughter. I wore a dress of pennies. I thought of pictures in the zoo of dead seals with their guts slid open, coins spilling everywhere. I grabbed the phone and slung my voice onto the wire. My friend came running through the ceiling. Why would you do this, she asked. I'm sorry, I told her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shivered on the floor all night as the wires unsnapped, one by one. This was my second brush with death in three years. I never told my parents about this one. After the first, I called them from the ER to tell them about the scorpion, the blood on my shoes, and the $2,000 helicopter ride to the hospital. 
As I held the phone, I could feel the shrivel in my mother's voice, how her hands couldn't untie this knot in me or even call it by name. All she could do is say, please take care of yourself and hang the white flag of her sigh from the highest tree in the yard. This is called What I Love About What I'll Never Understand. I used to think I'd get over a heartbreak faster if I could understand where it all went wrong. If love is forever and she says she stopped loving me, then it must never have been love. There, a neatly wrapped devastation, stitches glittering gold. I felt the same way about death at 16 when my aunt died of cancer. Energy is immortal, so she's still here somewhere, so there's less absence to mourn. Except that I still couldn't see her or hug her ever again. So science, too, is a blind devotion to faith for everyone except the scientist. I love to Google everything, but I also love that there are some things Google can never tell me an answer to, or at least never provide an answer that satisfies me, like, why do people become serial killers, or does my cat love me, or will there ever be a cure for cancer? I read today that scientists are, looking, are learning to remove HIV, HIV from cells or make them more responsive to chemotherapy or even to play God for parents with conditional love for their someday babies. I love knowing that there is so much I will never understand how to do, like isolate a gene or sculpt a statue or fall in love with a man or know if cancer is my destiny. There's a kind of peace in admitting what is beyond me. I am fluent in failures and sometimes success and enough self-doubt for a galaxy of galaxies. I don't ever want it to all make sense. If science is a faith, then discovery is prayer. Look, a vaccine for cervical cancer, an end to HIV, eyes wide with awe and humility, a bush on fire, a promise that I'll never really be alone. Praise song for depression. To say I've learned to manage depression would be to say it's a beast I could leash and not such a gorgeous shapeshifter. There were nights I fell asleep cradled in its song, felt its soft hand in mine on the subway every day going to and from work when I was starving for some kind of contact. To say I fight it off would be to say I fight off my mother's eyes, my father's chin, the history tucked in neat spirals in my cells just waiting to unravel into chaos. The truth is, I am grateful for having survived myself. There were nights I thought I might not, when I counted the good days instead of the bad ones and dreamt of the soft silver ocean hiding in the razor. This is not the battle of a lifetime, but an every minute battle for a lifetime. I broke my own heart when I realized I was my own worst fear, the monster wanting to choke me to dust. I've been the virus, but also the vaccine, but also here and this, and Facebook makes me think I'm a failure, but here and this and enough, and I'm thankful for my own failure because it means I'm still here to write this, so thank you, weakness. Thank you, poor follow-through. Thank you, cry for help. Thank you, body, for always gravitating towards life when my brain did not, 
for always fighting harder than I think I have the energy for. Thank you, sickness in me, for the sweetness in your song, even as it fills my throat, for the way I taste the honey and the stingers of the bees that made it all at once. Drawing Blood. The waiting room is a snow globe of starfish. Are we all floating? Is everyone still breathing? Check your pulses. Fill out your paperwork. Who was the last person who sucked the salt from your neck? When did you last inhale? Have you ever used a needle? Why is your family in the ground? How will your cells turn against you? Cancer? Heart disease? Have you ever wanted to die? The no rolls out, an obedient dog. She says, good. She hasn't looked me in the eye yet. I just want to know that I'm all right. I know one day this visit might not go so well. The cancer could be planning my surprise party, spinning cream streamers from milky white blood cells. I hate this place, the nurse tells me. The needle sings its thin voice into my arm. The chorus of red booms into vial after vial after vial. That's all me, I want to tell her. I stand and stumble forward. Steady now, she grabs my arm. You got a ways to go. This poem is a bit newer. Um, I wanted to read it today because today is also my three-year anniversary. In the week I lose my job and almost my apartment, I get drunk too quickly and only fall asleep when the alarm is about to ring. This is how timing becomes a bad joke about timing, how all of the clocks seem wired against me except one. I don't know if I believe that love only comes when you're not looking because I've always been looking, but I do think that the year I spent holding my broken heart was the year I needed to, for what I wanted to find me. When I say you're everything I've been looking for and you wonder how many times I've said this before, remember this. Yes, I've loved before with my whole heart and meant it every time, but there was always some kind of footnote. She loved me, but it was easier to stay with her boyfriend. She loved me, but wished I'd get a better job. She loved me, but wouldn't tell her parents. She loved me, but didn't want to hear about the depression. When I lay next to you after this god-awful week, you hold me and tell me you're not going anywhere. I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that until you said it. The one clock I've been in sync with is the one that led me to you. Whatever time it is is the exact time it needs to be. When I say I hope you don't get bored of this, I mean it's hard to trust in mechanisms unseen, especially when they've never worked out the way I had hoped. But that's the point in hope, isn't it? How we set our alarms every night before falling asleep and trust that the world we awaken into will be on the same time. Every morning that starts with your face next to mine is one I've been waiting for all my life. And I'm going to close out with this poem, which... I wrote uh, a few years back um, when uh, my mother's cancer 
uh, came back after almost 10 years of remission, and this is called prayer. Well, before I do the poem, um, when she told me that the cancer was back, um, at the time all I could think was that love means something different when all you want from someone is for them to stay. The first time I saw my mother without hair, I remembered that the doctors told us this would happen. It's normal. It's how brush fire medicates the soil, how the ash becomes a salve for its own burn. Now, when my mom tells me the tumors are shrinking, I say thank you. I'm not sure who I'm thanking, just that it feels right to say it out loud. More than ever before, I am achingly aware of my own limitations. I can't be the fluid dripping into my mother's arm or the new wig shining defiantly in the sun. I can't scour every trace of disappointment from her life or even calculate the depreciation of my own apologies as they touch air. All I can do is download Beyonce songs to her iPod and show her videos of goats screaming in the hopes of making her laugh. She says, Joanna... It's okay. You're not defined by what you lack, but by what you can give. It's okay. It's okay if my pulse is an echo of every dirge for every person I miss. It's okay if I miss everything, all at once. If the grief is a parachute that never opens, it's okay if all I want to do is sleep. If the bed is a useless currency for a country I'll never visit again. What matters is this. Right now, my mom is handing me an everything bagel, and right now, that is everything I need. Somewhere, someone loves me. My cat wishes I was home. My niece is learning how to pronounce my name. Her voice is my favorite anthem, the song I was born knowing by heart. My mom was never more perfect than the moment her life cracked wide open, when the scars became a river of constellation bleeding into ocean. My mom taught me that the only way past pain is to walk straight through to the other side. And I believe that there is another side. I believe that when we close our eyes and say, we will get through this, it's not so much a prayer as an incantation, not so much a prayer as a love letter to ourselves. And in the end, we all do the best we can with what we have to work with. Death is the cleanest room, a spotless heartache with nothing to hide behind, and if nothing else, prayer is a bird call into an empty field, is the word stay, finger scrawled on a frosted bus window all the way from Brooklyn to Baltimore, is the smallest tuft of head, hair on my mother's head that is just now daring to grow. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me, for listening to me. So glad to be here with my lovely family. And uh, I think we have some time for questions. Um, does anyone have any questions at all about any of the poems? Yes. I do. Um, first of all, let me tell you, just such gorgeous, gorgeous work. It's amazing. So moving. So beautiful. Thank you. Um, thank you. And... I'm wondering if when you write a poem, does it come to you and the emotion overtakes you and that causes you to sit down to write the poem or do you sit down and decide, well, this is a subject matter that I would like to write about? So I'm wondering which one or a combination or something else entirely. 
Great question. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there are times when I've felt like I have an idea marinating for a while and I want to sit down and write, but it's like the poem's like a baby and it's only going to come when it's ready to come. So I have to just like wait for it to be that right moment. But then there are times where... Um, you know, when I've been in, in writing circles or writing with groups of people where we'll just all sit down together and someone will come up with a writing assignment and we'll just sit there and write right there in the spot. And I think both are really helpful. I think there's sometimes when a poem needs to come into itself, but there are other times when if I don't carve out the time and make myself just try to get something out, I might not write for months. And sometimes good things emerge from that too that might surprise me. Great. Thank you. Yes. Have you ever um, finished up from two questions? How do you know when you're done with a poem? And have, have you ever had a poem in print, and then you want to go back and change something, and you can't? Yes. <laughs> the answer to that is yes. Um, though I think, I know when I'm done, I think it, it's just like the feeling of completion, um, as I'm writing it even, just, just feeling like there's a natural conclusion to it. Um, but there are times where... There are times when I'll write a poem, and maybe I don't feel great about the poem as a whole, but I think there's a stanza that I really like. And I might then take that stanza, put it into a poem that, you know, mix and match a bit. So I, I try not to delete my drafts. I try to, to hold on to everything, because I never know when something might be useful later on. Anybody else? Any questions? Also, if you have any questions about... Oh. Yes. Um, who are your favorite poets, contemporary and um, and historical? Really good question. Um, I'd say contemporary. Um, one of my favorite poets is uh, a poet named Patricia Smith, who's um, originally from Chicago and now lives in New Jersey. Um, I really think everything she's ever written just really speaks to me and inspires me. Um, I also really like Dean Young. Um, Rachel McKibbins is another contemporary poet who I think has really influenced me a lot. Um, and I think growing up, in, when I was reading poetry, um, I really liked uh, Lorca, I think. Um, reading like Spanish uh, surreal poetry was the first time I think I realized that poetry could look a different way and um, kind of break out of the forms that I thought it was originally confined to. Um, I also, I, growing up, I also really liked, uh, you know, Sylvia Plath and Sexton, um, who still really speak to me. Yes. Uh, speaking of that, uh, when did you first start, like, writing poetry, like, really, like, pr producing it and kind of realizing, wow, this is something I'm, I really love to do and I, I feel passionate about it? I think in middle school was about when I was writing poems almost every day, um, and then into high school also. But um, in when I was in college, that's when I started actually performing it, going to spoken word events, and uh, and then kind of coming out of that is when I started to look into how I could like fine tune the craft of my poems a bit more, and then got into the process of actually compiling a manuscript and submitting it for publication. Yes. So, um, sort of on that, that theme of, of starting to write, um, if you could go back in time and revisit your younger self starting to write, what would you, what bit of advice would you give yourself? Probably the same advice I give young people now when I talk to them in high schools or middle schools, and that's that 
they, they shouldn't feel like they're limited by what they think a poem has to be. Um, a poem doesn't have to rhyme, as we know, but, you know, a poem, it doesn't, you know, it can have metered syllable, you know, and that kind of, that kind of thing, um, but it doesn't have to, and I don't think they should feel like what they wrote isn't a poem because it doesn't fit into certain strict guidelines. Um, I think for me, once I realized that was very freeing because I didn't feel like what I was writing felt what my English teacher would have thought of as poetry, but... It worked for me, yes. Did you ever do a poem that is very specific, like a haiku, or like a little rhyming poem? Is that, I'm just, I don't know poetry, is that like passe? Oh, no. I don't think so at all. I think, and I think there's a great use for that. Um, I love Sestinas. I write in Sestinas. The Sestina, it's where you, um, actually I have an example in my book, it's where you have um, a word that repeats, um, it's in, I, I don't remember the exact pattern, but it's like a word that repeats throughout the stanzas of a poem, and then you have a, 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 a two-line stanza at the very end where you use the words that you've been repeating. Oh, read it? Okay, sure. So, uh, actually, I originally titled this Sistina for Marathon Training, and then my publisher said, just call it Marathon Training. So, <laughs> This is how to extend every breath into soft staircase. You are scaling a wall of undulating lung, tethered, tethered to the shivering rind of spines, splayed open as a carcass of road. Your pulse is a map in Morse code. Before you ever learn the code of escape routes, jamming breath as a rusted key into stubborn road, all you knew was movement, scaling the itchy rash of weight from your spine, your surgeon feet sliced you untethered. In high school, you learned to tether your pace to the other girls, coding your want to kiss her glazed spine into the handcuff of your breath to her face as you passed by, scales flapping as red flags of open mouth road. You never won a trophy, but the road tasted like ribbons. Every bare tether and undressing of virgins, a blunt scale of everything you drenched with code. It felt like a tidal wave to unfold breath, without apology, down coast of spine. Even when you finished last, spine bowing to feet, to throbbing road, you had a furious army of breath streaming from your lips. Untethered from your coach's frown, her code for loser, you beamed bright scales. Through the years, you learned to scale down heartache into shivers of spine. They say it's chemical, how the code of sad is translated by tongues of road into exhale, how the sinew can tether you back to the whitewashed first breath. Now, you are shoving handfuls of stupid hope into bursting spine. The road measures your pounding on a scale of one to everything. You are not tethered to even yourself. Marathon is code for look what you've done with your very own breath. But also, to answer your question, um, especially in the spoken word scene, um, there's actually the one of the venues in New York City where I live is a venue where um, a lot of poets traditionally use um, specific forms like that when they're, do, when they're performing um, competitive poetry, which is really interesting, I think. Yeah. Yes. So 
most uh, frustrating aspect of the writing process for you? Selecting the words, just getting started. I think writer's block um, can be really tough because it then kind of like feeds itself. Um, it becomes a thing where I haven't written for a while and then I convince myself that I forgot how to write poems and that can drag on for a while. Um, so that can be really, really frustrating. Um, but, you know, I found for myself the best way to get out of that is to read other people's poetry. And there's like nothing better for inspiration than other people's work. Yeah. <coughs> Anybody else? Oh, yes. So when you read novels, do you think, like, oh, my God, too many words? Or do you ever think you branch out? <laughs> you know, I, I would love to write a novel. Um, but, yeah, it does seem like a lot of writing. Um, I actually, I, I did a, a short story contest recently with my friend who's here. Um, and that was, like, a really great exercise for me, I think, because I'm so used to writing poems that are, you know, a page or two. And writing something longer than that is is challenging. Um, but, you know, growing up, I, I also I always wrote a lot of short stories. And I think that is something I'd like to do eventually. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? No, I thought you were about to raise your hand. I think I know. All right. Um, where is my friend that works here? Oh, there she is. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.